Well, we're going to look at the passage I read together earlier. So if you can give me half an hour of your time, I'll be no longer than that. Um, we're going to look through uh, Acts 17 and uh, the account of, of Paul in Athens. Now, society is changing, isn't it? You don't need me to come all the way from Cardiff to tell you that. Uh, you know it's changing. We're told that it's becoming increasingly secular, uh, that people don't worship anymore. We can believe that because churches are, are not as full as they were. I mean, just here, around here, isn't it? There's just churches everywhere that one day were once full and, and aren't anymore. Uh, and a number of people are glad at that, aren't they? People are glad that the world that we live in is much more tolerant than the one that it was past. That people are let be what they want to be. That there's none of the restrictions of, of previous generations. Uh, but for also, and I'm sure some of you this evening will feel like this, is frightening. We look back. It's a Welsh thing, isn't it, to look back at the good old days. Sometimes they were better than they are now. Um, or maybe you're in between. Maybe you're the parent of children who just seem to be in a different world than you're in, or a grandparent. Or, you know, and you may be asking, well, where does Christianity fit into all of this? If we're in a society that is secular, where does Christianity fit in? Because frankly, most people think we're weird being here tonight, don't they? At best. The prevailing view out there is people in here are weird. You believe in God? Really? Or they believe that it's irrelevant. But there will be others, won't they, who will think that Christianity is cruel, that it's backwards, that it's restrictive, that it's bigoted, that it's small-minded. And sometimes, if we're honest with our past, the past wasn't always good because some of those things were true. But in a society that's post-Christian, where do we fit in? In a society that is ignorant of the claims of Christianity, where do we fit in? Well, such a culture is nothing new. Such a culture is nothing new. It was exactly the same in first century Greece. They also thought they were really advanced. And uh, Paul here is sharing the gospel with them. He's told them about the resurrection. And they've all gone, what? They said, don't they, in verse 18, uh, he seems, uh, what is this babbler trying to say? What a babbler. Literally means a seed picker. Think of a chicken. That's what they're saying he's like. They're saying Paul is like a chicken who's doing nothing but going round, pecking the ground. That's how silly he is. That's how stupid he is. He's not like them. And so he goes to the Areopagus. And we have here a summary of an interview or a speech uh, that Paul gives to these people who are ignorant of the claims of Christianity so I want us to see three things this evening from these verses, okay? Three things. I'll test you on them afterwards. But uh, we'll do three things, okay? The first one is the question is not if you worship, but what? The question is not if you worship or what. Even in a society like ours that appears secular on the outside, actually everybody's worshipping. The question is, what are they worshipping? Well, we were told in, in verse 16, weren't we, that Athens was full of idols. Verse 22 said that these people, Paul said to them, they can see that you're very religious, that they were very spiritual. There was a joke in Athens at the time that there were, there were more idols than there were men. 
And some of the idols that they had, they had Artemis, who was the goddess of prosperity and money. You had Athena, who was the goddess of wisdom and politics. If you wanted to be smart, if you wanted wisdom, you, you worshipped her. You had Nike. She wasn't the goddess of trainers, but she was the goddess of victory. She was worshipped by athletes and warriors, and that's why someone's got Nike shorts on there. That is where that company got its name from. You've got Aphrodite, who's the goddess of beauty and fertility. And verse 23 tells us that just in case they'd missed anything else out, there was an unknown god. It was there just in case that they could go to and bring. In Athens, the question was not if you worship, but what. And it is exactly the same in 21st century Clidach this evening. It is exactly the same. Now you might be thinking, hang on. And certainly people outside would say this. We're way more sophisticated than the people in Athens. We haven't got these temples. We don't have idols that we bow before. But it's no different. It's like we're wired in that way. We think we're more sophisticated, but we're exactly the same. And our idols, think of the biggest buildings in our cities. Where are our temples? Shopping malls? Political buildings? Sports stadiums. Our idols are money. Just like, just like uh, in Athens. Gods of money. Gods of politics. Gods of sport. Gods of pop stars and pleasure and image. So the reality for every single one of us here this evening is that we are worshipping something. The question is what? And the reality for the whole of this small town is exactly the same. Every single person is worshipping. So when people tell you they don't believe, oh, I don't worship, I'm not into that. What they've done is they've put something else instead of God. Some of these things in the short run, they look really good, don't they? But when we put them under some scrutiny and we ask, are these idols of the world working? Do you think people look satisfied? Do you think people are satisfied? When you look at sports stars when you look at politicians do you think they look satisfied they're not are they because ultimately idols don't do what they say they're going to do they don't give you security when you're ill they don't help you when your nearest and dearest dies they're not there for you when you're crushed by injustice because your sports teams lose politics sours family one day we'll be gone. And they let us down. Jim Carrey, I don't know if you've heard of Jim Carrey. I'm not normally quoting Jim Carrey in sermons, but he's an actor. So if you've seen Sonic the Hedgehog, Jim Carrey, I think he, well, he plays one of the characters, Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, but he's, for those of you old days, in like the Truman Show. And he said this, I think that everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. And he's right, isn't he? Our society is worshipping the wrong things and maybe you're worshipping things here this evening that you can't satisfy, that don't satisfy you. Money and sport and family, beauty and influence, image, and they leave us always wanting more. And the question for you is, why would you worship a letdown? Or if you're a Christian here this evening and you're faltering and you're failing and there's a temptation and you want to give up and you're going to put your faith in something else, let me tell you that it will not satisfy. 
these idols cannot give you what you want. If we're honest, we're all taken, aren't we, sometimes by different things that take our attention. So the question is not if we worship, but what. Secondly, we see the, the fact. So we've seen that the question is not if we worship, but what. But the fact is that our God is not one of many gods, but the only God worth worshipping. The fact is our God is not one of many gods, but the only God worth worshipping. There is somebody, there is someone who is worth worshipping. Somebody who is different, who is not like our idols, that they are worth it. When we read, don't we, in verse 24 and 25, Here, Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself, he he himself, sorry, gives everyone life and breath and everyone and everything else. You see what Paul is saying? The problem of our age is that our gods are too small. If we're accepting something like, our, like the Greeks, the goddess of prosperity and money, the goddess of wisdom, the goddess of sport and victory, they're too little. They're too small. And the Christian God is much, 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 much greater. Why? Because these verses tell us he made everything. And he rules heaven and earth that he holds up, upholds all things. So Taylor Swift know Taylor Swift is she's a pop star she may sell out Wembley multiple times Mr. Beast don't know if any of you know Mr. Beast if you don't know Mr. Beast he's on YouTube 116 million people subscribe to Mr. Beast's channel or Marcus Rashford who plays in front of plays football in front of seventy five thousand people every single week, and we think these are amazing and they're incredible. Yet God is greater, and God is greater because He gives life, that He sustains life, and nobody else is like Him. And so those verses told us, didn't it, that He's not confined to temples built by human hand. He's not confined to a stadium or a shopping mall or a YouTube channel. He's bigger than that. And it also means in verse 25 that he needs nothing from us. He doesn't need us to to subscribe to his channel. He doesn't need us to buy a ticket to watch a concert. God doesn't need us to chant his name. He's so different to the idols of our world. Because he gives, not takes. He gives life. He is the proper influencer and he influences heaven and earth and he is far bigger than the gods of our society, which is really useful, isn't it? Because if you are somebody here this evening who is worried about the future, who is frightened about what was going on, if God made everything and he's sustaining everything, do you think he's worried about the state of Wales in the 21st century? It might sadden him, but it certainly doesn't worry him. It's not a problem that he can't sort out. There's nothing here that that can't be changed tomorrow by a work of God's Spirit in this land. Everything we turn the right way up. He's bigger. He's greater. He's massive. 
Verse 26 remind, reiterates, doesn't it, that not only is he creator, but he rules over history. You think of the powerful people in our world. Maybe Joe Biden, the president of the USA, maybe he's the most powerful. But he doesn't create or rule over history. There is only one. And he is our God. And it's a remarkable thing in verse 26 because he talks about how he made the, from one man all of the nations that we should inhabit the earth. And then it says that he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God is working out your life. He has appointed your life. He has appointed that you're going to be here this evening. That was his plan that you would be here. So he's not just some God who's, who's distant and far away. He is working all things. He is great, so great that he is created, he's not sustaining, he's upholding, but he's also planning every single little thing. And then verse 27 tells us something remarkable. Why would God do that? Well, verse 27 says that God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from, from any one of us. That's remarkable, isn't it? This God, this great God, wants you and I to find him. He's brought you here this evening so that you might find him. He wants to give himself. It's like I said, our idols, they take from us, don't they? Money and time. He is his own reward. Yet it says here that he is not far from any one of us. Think about that for a second. Mr. Beast is stuck behind a screen. Now the screen can be quite close to you, obviously, but he's not, because he's behind a screen. He can't come out there. He's not going to come into your house. He's behind a screen wherever he's recording what he records. Taylor Swift, she's on a stage. She's got all of these people who help, who look after her and make sure she doesn't get too close to people. Marcus Rashford, he's a bitch. You can't reach him either, can you? But God is near. And he wants us to find him. So the question for all of us here this evening is, will you reach out to him? Will you come and find him? Because why should you do that? Well, Paul says in verse 28, he quotes from Greek poets, and the point that he's making is that God alone satisfies. He says that in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul is telling us, he's telling these people in Athens, listen, it's only in, in God that you'll find true fulfillment. Jim Carrey's point, Paul didn't say that, I'm saying that. Jim Carrey's point, that all of our gods will never satisfy. He's saying the same thing, isn't he? They're not the answer. But here is the answer. God over all others. He satisfies. He is not one of many gods. But he is the only God worth worshipping. If you're a Christian here this evening, let me ask you this. How does that reflect in your life? If I was to ask your family... Would they say, yes, I can see that this God is the most important person, the only one who, who is worth worshipping, maybe work colleagues or whoever. It's a challenge to us, isn't it? 
Do we live like God is the only one worth worshipping? But in this passage, we see two implications. Uh, in verse 29 to the beginning of, of verse 31, that God is this God. He's the only one who is worth worshipping. In verse 29, we're told that we can't reduce God. It says, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine image is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. We can't reduce God to fit our image. Now, we live in a culture, don't we, that is trying to make God, if it believes, says it believes in him at all, we live in a culture that is trying to make God in the image of everything else. You see it, don't you? You hear it. Churches who are not believing things they believed in the past because it doesn't fit in with the culture, and they're trying to make God fit in with where the culture is. That can be a real temptation. But Paul here is saying, listen, if God is the creator... It's foolish for us to think that we can reduce him to something that we can hold in our hands. Something that we, someone that we agree with the whole time. So if you're somebody that thinks, how can God say that? Why does God say that? And I'm sure we all think that at some point. Because he's so much greater than we are. He's bigger than we are. He's too great. So there will be times where we don't understand what he's doing or what he says. But we can't reduce him because he's too great for that. really speaks into our culture. But also, if God is worthy and we've followed others, we need to repent. So as we, we read there, in the past, God, in verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. If he is the creator and our hearts and our lives belong to him, he is the one who has set the laws of right and wrong. Think of the Lord Jesus. He said, didn't he? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. If I was to ask how you guys have done against that standard this week, I'm sure your answer is going to be the same as mine. I failed abysmally. We've failed, haven't we? Before we get anywhere. And here, God tells us that we need to repent. And it says that he's been patient with us. And he's been patient with us too, hasn't he? We're here this evening. I'm sure you've, I've seen many of your faces many times before, so I know you've been here lots. God has been so patient to you and you've brought you somewhere where his word is preached, where you're told about the Lord Jesus again and again and again. And he's saying it's time that we've got to look at the right God, that we've got to stop looking at the gods of this world and we start looking at the God of the Bible. About 10 years ago, we were fortunate enough to go uh, on holiday to America, and we went to see the Grand Canyon. And uh, it is the most amazing thing I have ever seen. When you, you, can't, you park your car, and then you get a bus to the, where the rim of the thing is. And when we went on the corner, and there was a first glimpse of the canyon, there was an audible gasp on the bus. It is just huge. It is magnificent. And we were fortunate. We'd been told to stay for sunset. Make sure you're there for sunset. So we'd managed to get this spot. And it was amazing as the sun becomes sort of it's yellow and then it's getting orange and it's red. The colours of the rocks changed. So the canyon is like sort of this dark sort of orangey red colour. It was just amazing. And we're there and we're watching and it's all very impressive. And suddenly like I can hear this kerfuffle behind us. So my first thought is, is there some sort of wildlife that we need to move out of the way? Is there a bear? Not that there's bears there, but obviously there are bears in America. But I'm just like, sort of, what's there? 
Well, we turn around and there's this group of five tourists with their cameras out. Not taking photographs of the Grand Canyon, but taking photographs of a grey squirrel. These people had the most amazing view and they're focused on a grey squirrel. Imagine, right, spending however much money you would spend to go to the Grand Canyon on holiday and then taking photographs of a grey squirrel, something you see in the park here, no doubt, many, many times. Imagine missing a Grand Canyon sunset for a squirrel. We can all agree that's stupid, can't we? That is stupid. But following other gods other than the God of the Bible, is like looking at squirrels. And rather than looking and following this amazing view, we're just focused on things that are just there, that are just normal, day-to-day life. And Paul is saying, and I'm saying to you guys, it's time to repent and turn to God. He tells us that judgment is coming, and that there is a chance that we need to turn away from our squirrels, whatever they may be, and to start looking at the canyon again. If you're a Christian here, maybe you're lukewarm, you're struggling. You're thinking about who you're going to worship. Here's another chance to repent. If you're backslidden and your heart is not where it should have been, here is another chance for you to come home and repent. If you're not a Christian here this evening and it's the first time you've ever walked in and it's the first time you've ever heard anybody telling you about this message that there is a God who is worthy of worshipping, you can repent and surrender. There is good news for you this evening too. The fact is that the God of the Bible is not just one of any of many gods. He is the only God worth worshipping. So thirdly, finally, we see that the proof is not in eloquent words, but that Jesus was raised from the dead. The proof is not in eloquent words, but that Jesus was raised from the dead. As I said in verse 31, Paul has said to these people, he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this by raising to everybody by raising him from the dead. Imagine Paul, imagine if, imagine if we went out now this evening, is it a spa or co-op at the end of the road? And we started telling everybody, hey, judgment's coming. People would be like, what? We thought you were mad anyway. You're going to spend any time in church. No one believes that anymore. But here Paul tells us that God has given us proof. And it's not in Paul's persuasive words, but it's in the fact that somebody is raised from the dead. Who is that person? Most of you know the answer, don't you? 2,000 years ago, Jesus raised from the dead. It is a fact. He had done many miracles, hadn't he? He was a great teacher. He was not an ordinary man. The Bible tells us that Jesus was God, become man. He was God himself. We know, don't we, that on that Friday, and then on Sunday morning, there was resurrection. Now you might be thinking, hang on a second. You believe in judgment? And you believe that somebody raised from the dead? That's Paul's point, isn't it? Resurrection of the dead was not a majority opinion in Athens at that time. That's why it's so important. Because we know that people generally aren't raised from the dead. So the fact that it happened is important. You can see the difference that it has on people when they saw that in the Bible. Think of Paul. 
who's here preaching. He was a murderer. He was trying to stamp out this religion. And here he is boldly proclaiming it. Think of the other disciples. They were fearful and they were confused. But after they'd seen that Jesus was risen from the dead, they were bold, that they were willing to suffer many things, even to death. Paul is clear that Jesus is alive. And that has massive implications for us because it is the proof. We are not like the, Ath- the Athenians. Is that how we say it? We're not like the Athenians who had an unknown God. We have a known Christ who was risen from the dead. That he is coming to judge Money and sport and power and image, all of it will be judged before him. He is coming. He knows everything. He knows all the secrets of your heart that nobody else here knows anything about. He is all-powerful. He is bigger and greater than anyone. And he is coming to judge. We're in a culture, aren't we, that says there's no such thing as judgment. You be who you want to be. But here's a warning from God's word that our culture is wrong. Christ is coming to judge. Now you may be thinking, and this is a depressing note to end a sermon on, on a Sunday night. And you'd be right. It's true. It is true. Judgment is coming. But where's hope? Well, we had a little glimpse, didn't we, in verse 27, when we said that God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us that he is he wants us to find him and he's not far from any of us you thought of why god is not far from us a god who is so big so mighty god wants us to find him so much that he came near he came near you see judge jesus has been here before He didn't stay where he was worshipped in heaven like our gods would. He came into this world. He loved God with his heart and his soul and his mind. He loved his neighbours as he loved himself. So that the one who was coming to judge came and took judgment on himself. He wanted to know us so much. He wanted to be so near to us at the extent that he went to the wages of sin the bible says when we do things wrong the wages of that is death but the bible tells us that jesus died in our place paying the price for our sin that he rose from the dead and that his resurrection was proof that he had defeated sin and death and that he's in a category of his own no one else comes close he takes all of our imperfection from us and instead gives us his perfection so when judge jesus returns in judgment if you're his child if you're a christian here he says you are not guilty you are free he says i paid for that i paid the price for that i came to be near to pay the price for that so that you could find me and we all need that don't we because as i've said we all fail We're worshipping the wrong gods. But here, Jesus is the hope because he is risen from the dead. So Taylor Swift may well sell out Wembley multiple times. Mr. Beast may well have 100 and whatever million it was subscribers who follow his channel. Marcus Rashford may play in front of 75,000 people. But none of them 
have risen from the dead. So where do you, little you, maybe never measuring up? They're no help. They're too distant. Here is the God who, who came near to save. He didn't stay on the pitch or the stage, but he came to die and rise again. And this message in these verses is it's time to repent and put your trust in Jesus. So as we finish this evening, our culture tells us that we're moving on from worshipping. And we can wonder where Christianity fits in. Well, it's needed more than ever, isn't it? The truth. It is the only hope. There is no hope other than that. The church in, in Cardiff, there's, there were a young man in his 20s died a, a few years ago. Was hit by a train. And just there's a bench outside the church where every year on his birthday they put balloons and light fireworks and just weep together. It is the saddest thing because they have no hope. They have no hope. Nobody else has any hope, do they? Yet here, we have hope. Even though the, the reality is that every single one of us worships, people are worshipping the wrong things. And here Paul reminds us that our God is greater. And he is worthy of our worship and he will judge those who don't. And the proof is that Jesus rose from the dead. So the question for you as we finish is, what will you do with that proof? What will you do with that proof this evening? What will you do with the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? Will you put your head in the sand? Just carry on as you were? Or will you worship the God who is worthy of worship? In my head, as they say, it is a no-brainer. It is an absolute no-brainer. Why would you want to worship things that can't give you and can't help you and won't fulfill you? And there is one who said, and we see, don't we, in verse, those final verses in chapter 17, that the people in Athens had the same, the same issues, didn't they? The same questions. Some mocked. Some laughed at Paul. But others believed. Some believed. You have that choice this evening. And what will you do? One hand, gods that don't satisfy, they don't do what they promise, they'll let you down. They lead to judgment. And on the other hand, God who is creator, the judge who came to rescue us from judgment so that we could be near him and find him. The God who is patient, who gives us another opportunity to turn away from sin and back to him and says, come, you won't be turned away. Come and repent. He is worth it.